Good morning once again. Just uh, move that slightly. That's better, I can see you now. So, I wasn't around last week, as some of you may have noticed. Um, a few of us went to the gathering down in, in Swindon. Um, a, a, it's a, a men's event. There was uh, 1,500 men came together for a weekend of worship and testimony and prayer and, um, and general messing around. Um, it, was, it was great fun. It was a really good time. Um, really, really good time to spend together. Um, uh, I didn't expect to find myself at a Christian men's conference learning how to pick locks, um, but you know, sometimes, um, sometimes these opportunities present themselves and you, you learn a new skill, um, but I assure you I don't intend to use it anytime soon. But uh, we, had, we had a great time, we had a great time, and um, uh, any, anyone, any men who fancy coming along to the gathering next year, then please do um, <clears throat> uh, speak to me or to... Um, to Marcus or to Steve Gaskin or to anyone who's been before um, to find out a bit more about it. I would, I would recommend it. It was a, it was a, great, a great weekend. Um, so, this week is our final week of looking at the Alpha course. It's our final week. We've done, we've done several weeks and the actual course itself has about 13 sessions to it. Um, some of them are done together um, so it's not necessarily a 13-week course, but it's quite a long course. And what I wanted to do is just give us as a church a flavour of some of the things that the Alpha course covers. And so we've covered some of those as, as sermon topics. Um, some of them we haven't, but I've just, we've got a, a, a list here. Ah. A list here of the, the topics um, that the Alpha course covers. Um, so... It's entirely up to you. If you want to get your phone out and take a picture so that you've, you've got a list, um, if anybody asks, or if, if not, then you can look it up online. Um, but it just gives you an idea. There are some in there that we haven't covered. Um, we haven't had a session on, on Does God Heal Today? Um, we haven't had a session um, about the Holy Spirit. Um, we haven't spoken about how can I make the most of the rest of my life. All these, all these, um, these sessions, some of them we have covered, some of them we haven't. But what I hope we've got is... A confidence now that when we talk about the Alpha Course to friends, family, neighbours, colleagues, etc., we know what it is that we're talking about. We've got an idea. Because today is the day that we can say that. So well, I thought there might be a bit of enthusiasm at least. <laughs> oh. But you see, I purposefully a few weeks ago said, didn't I, um, don't, don't start inviting people yet. Now, I know some people have, and that's fantastic, and bless you for doing that, because it's really encouraging. But, but I said, before we go out and invite people, we need to know what it is that we're inviting them to. And so hopefully by now, we have the confidence to be able to, to have this banner up. And you might have noticed a couple of posters in the windows as well that we've got up to, to, to share the fact that Alpha runs here. And if someone comes up and says, well, what is Alpha? Then we can now tell them. And so not only are we going to have, have the banner up, we've got the posters, but we have got um, 250 
give or take, I think 250, 249 now, because I've got one. Invitations sitting out there on the tables just outside. When you leave today, please take one, or two, or more. Think of people that you can invite to the Alpha course, people you can give one of these to and say, look, it might not be your thing, but give it some thought over the summer. Talk to me about it. It's got, the, it's got a, a bit of blurb on the back about what the Alpha course is, and then there's a sticker on there with um, times, places, um, well, it's going to be here, um, but um, date, times, um, and uh, contact number and email address for any more information that people might want. So, so please do um, go out and invite. One of the things I said in the first session is start praying for opportunity. Start praying that, that God will, will put people into your path that you can invite, people who need to, to hear, people who might have burning questions, people who might have, have deep, deep um, challenges in life, experiences, um, a, a past that, that they feel um, prohibits them from knowing God. But we know that actually there is no barrier big enough to prohibit someone from knowing God. And so we really want to, want to get this message out there. We want people to come and to ask their questions and to, to, to shoot down the Christian faith because people have been trying to do that for 2,000 years and so far no one has. And Alpha is, is a brilliant opportunity for us to invite people and just say, look, we're not going to try and force our faith upon you, but this is a way of just learning more. There's so many people in the world that dismiss the Christian faith without ever having properly looked into it. And this is an opportunity for them to properly look into it. And our prayer and our faith is that once someone starts examining God and asking questions of God, then they begin to understand God and to meet with him. So, please do take um, an invitation or more, and please don't just put them to the bottom of a handbag or in a back pocket and, and find it in a few weeks' time and discard it. Please, please be purposeful. Take them and invite people, because this is a gift which, which has the potential to change lives. And I'm really excited about this. Really excited about this. It's going to be starting on Wednesday, the 7th of September, and it's going to be running through the, the autumn term. Um, starting at, at 7 o'clock in the evening. And it's going to be great. And I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope that, that you are too. But today, this is our opportunity to invite people. This is our opportunity to say, I know what it is I'm inviting people to, so I'm going to get out there and I am going to invite people. But what we want us to think about today is the sort of people that we might be inviting. Because it's all very well to say, yeah, great, we're going to go out and we're going to invite people and we want people who don't know Jesus coming into this church. We want to, we want to follow the example of Jesus sharing the good news, the gospel message out there in the world to the people who need to hear it. But we've got to be prepared. We've got to actually mean what we say. Because Jesus, throughout his ministry, often found himself coming into contact with people that we might not be comfortable with. You see, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, began the, the series of statements that we call the Beatitudes by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which is a strange statement. 
Because if someone, is, if someone is, is rich and you look at their huge mansion and say, my goodness, this is amazing, and they, they don't tend to say, yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really rich. They tend to say, yeah, I'm really blessed. The two words are kind of almost interchangeable. If you claim to be rich, then it's, 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 a, it's boasting a bit. It's not a, very, um, it's not a very nice thing to say. But to say, oh, I'm so blessed, we feel like we're sort of turning it away from ourselves. And that's, that's, there's, there's a certain merit in that. But it's a strange choice of words for Jesus to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. You'd think he'd say, blessed are the rich in spirit. The rich in spirit, the ones that are on fire for God, the ones that are full of the Holy Spirit, the ones who, 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 who see through the, the material wants and the earthly demands and the, the, the set way of doing things and instead actually who focus on, on God and God's will and God's love and God's peace. They're the ones who are, who are rich in spirit, so blessed are the rich in spirit because they will, uh, the, for, the, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But he doesn't say that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it means you don't have that sense of being on fire for God. It means you have that sense of isolation, that sense of loneliness, perhaps, that sense that even if there is a God, he wouldn't want me because of who I am, because of what I've done, because of what I do, because of the anger inside me, because of the, the life I've lived, because of the company I keep. The poor in spirit, if you're poor in spirit, it's almost a point of brokenness, a point of emptiness, a point where our self-esteem is at an all-time low, a point where we just feel unworthy of life itself. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. We're going to look at a passage now which shows us Jesus coming face to face with just such a person. In Luke chapter 7, towards the end of the chapter, starting at verse 36, we see Jesus being invited to a Pharisee's house. So I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to consider the implications it has for us today and consider the challenge that it sets us in our attitudes and challenges us on how prepared we are for the people that might walk into this church when we go and open ourselves up, inviting people to something like the Alpha Course. So the passage begins, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. 
When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, said Jesus. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now to read that passage, at first hand, we learn a lot about Jesus. We learn a lot about his attitude to forgiveness, his attitude to people. But perhaps we don't fully grasp the significance of what is going on in this passage until we begin to understand some of the social conventions of the day. we can just skip on to the end of the passage. You see, what happens at the start of the, at the, start of the passage when Jesus is in, invited to Simon the Pharisee's house, you might think, well, that's nice. Simon must have been a decent guy, a, a nice Pharisee, not one of these nasty ones that we read about. But actually, no. Yes, Jesus was invited to his house, but it doesn't seem to have been done willingly. You see... There were social conventions which dictated the, the way that a host should act. So first of all, when you had a guest in your house, a guest of honour, someone for whom you were throwing a banquet, if you really wanted to make them feel welcome, the first thing you did, it's a bit like today, you might open a door, welcome them in, how are you, come in, don't worry about your shoes, even though you think I've just hoovered. See, I was brought up properly. So they, they come in and they can smell the food and you ask them how they are and you, you make sure they're sitting comfortably, you offer them a drink. They're the sort of social conventions that we have. What you wouldn't do if you've invited someone around for dinner is when they knock on the door, just lay on the sofa reading something or watching telly and shout, it's open! 
and expect them to let themselves in and, and find their way into the room and then just lay there with your feet up on the sofa looking at a, a Wisdom magazine or whatever you might have knocking around and totally ignore them. You wouldn't do that, would you? Because we have social conventions. Uh, we call them manners a lot of the time. And Simon here, he, shows, uh, he uses this as, not as an opportunity to honour Jesus and to bless Jesus, but it's more an opportunity to, to humiliate Jesus, to show that, that as a Pharisee, Simon did not have to lower himself to, um, to, to, showing, to, to displaying these social conventions to Jesus, to showing these good manners, the respect that came with them. And so, first of all, the first social convention would have been that when you had a guest come in, the first thing that would happen is, sorry, the clicker's not, um, not behaving, so uh, I'm just going to put that down, otherwise I keep clicking. So the first thing that would happen is that you would greet them with a kiss. It would either be um, a, a kiss on the hand, or if you knew the person, it would be a kiss on the cheek. It's a bit like giving someone a hug or a handshake. It's a, it's a, form, of, it's a form of intimacy. It's a welcome. You would give them this, this, this welcome at the door. As I'm sure you know, in these days, the roads were dusty and people walked a lot and they wore um, open footwear like sandals. And so you would, you would either have a servant um, bring water to wash their feet or sometimes the host themselves would at least contribute to the process. They might, they might um, uh, pour the water. They might do the job themselves, though normally that would be done by a servant. It would be unusual for a Pharisee to do the actual foot washing. What you wouldn't do is not even give them the option. You wouldn't dream of that. You would make sure that they had water, that they had the option. Once their feet have been washed, of course, you would provide a towel or some sort of linen for them to dry their feet on. So that the person was sitting there having washed the muck of the road off their feet, they didn't have the embarrassment of having filthy feet, and then they were dry, they were comfortable, and that was that social convention dealt with. And then, finally, another convention would have been to anoint them, have some oil or some perfume to anoint them. Maybe it was a, a sign of respect, a sort of a mark of honour, but it was also partly to cover up the stench of the people who came into the house to make sure that there was a more pleasant aroma in the house, a drop of perfume or of oil. So this was the done thing. This was, this was just what was expected. When you invited somebody into your house for a meal, these meals were not like we have today. There wouldn't have been a, um, right, you're on a guest list, yep, come in, yep, we've invited you, right, the eight people are here for dinner, um, the, 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 the candles are lit, the starter's being ready, the wine is poured, we're sitting around having, having a nice chit-chat before we go into the dining room, the front door's shut. It wasn't the case. It was, it was an opportunity to show off. And so when a banquet like this was thrown, the doors would have been left open. 
Anybody could have wandered in, wandered around the table, listened to the conversation, seen the food being served, and wandered out again. Anybody. It was very much a, a public occasion, although only the invited could eat. Sometimes there were leftovers, and sometimes people would come in and glean some leftovers afterwards. But suddenly, as Jesus is gone into the house, he's sitting, or he's reclining at table, he didn't have chairs, he would have been reclining on um, uh, some sort of cushion with his feet behind him. The feet on display which were filthy and mucky and clearly had not been washed. This was a, a shun, and Jesus is sitting there. That is, a, that is a moment of humiliation, make no mistake about it, that Simon has inflicted upon Jesus. And then suddenly, this lady walks in. Now, Scripture describes her as a lady who has lived a sinful life. Um, church tradition um, takes that to mean that she was a prostitute, and most scholars accept that that is probably what she was. Um, we see similar scenes elsewhere. Mary of Bethany in John 12 repeats this scene in a similar way. We see Mary Magdalene in Mark 16 and Luke 8 also washing Jesus' feet with her tears. But interestingly, most commentators agree that this unnamed lady is not Mary Magdalene or Mary of Bethany. That actually on three separate occasions, Jesus had his feet washed with the tears of ladies who came into his presence and were just overwhelmed. Whether this lady is a prostitute or not, we know that she lived a sinful life. And not just we know it, but everybody at that table knew it as well. Maybe even some of the other Pharisees or, or dignitaries at that table thought, oh no, she knows my name. In fact, she knows a lot more than my name. She may have had clients at that table. And so when she walks in, the atmosphere becomes tense. What's her purpose? We don't want her sort here. We are not comfortable. What if we get somebody coming to Alpha and they say, well, I'm, I'm a prostitute. That's what I do. I make ends meet. I put a roof over my head. And I'll be working tomorrow night, and I was working last night. We as a church must not be repulsed. We as a church must not reject or judge. And that's a challenge. That is a real challenge. Because if we do judge, if we are repulsed, if we in any way show any sign of unwelcome to this person, then they won't be coming back. Instead, we must be Jesus. And this is why it's important that, that, we, that we're warned about this, that we know that this could happen, because actually this is exactly the sort of person that Jesus himself reached out to. When this lady walks into the banquet, Jesus doesn't, doesn't judge her, even though he, he was the only one in there who had any right to do the judging. Instead, he shows compassion. She comes into his presence. 
She kneels down. It would be going too far to say there was eye contact. To say that there was a welcoming word. To say there was any form of reassurance. But something in Jesus touched that lady. Something about the presence of Jesus, about the love that he, that, that emanated from him. Something meant that she knelt down and sobbed. And as she, as she sobbed, she wasn't, it wasn't just the odd tear rolling down the cheek. She was broken. These were floods of tears. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those broken. Those who feel so isolated, so empty, so hurt, so unworthy, so unwholesome, so rejected, so judged, so outcast, so unwanted. Blessed are them. For they will inherit the king for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this lady is broken. She's sobbing and sobbing and sobbing, and the tears are flowing at such a rate that as they land on Jesus' feet, she sees the dirt, she rubs, she scrubs, she washes. This wouldn't have been a pleasant sight at all. In fact, it would have been a horrible sight. We can read these, these, these instances in Scripture and, and think, oh, how lovely. Oh, yeah, I can, I can just imagine the, the lady crying and washing, the, making the feet nice and clean. No, there, the tears flowed and the, the, the dust and the muck on the feet got, got wet and it would, have, it would have been horrible, messy. And she would have been sobbing and snotty and horrible. You know what it's like when you just lose it and you just cannot, cannot control the outpouring of emotion. And there's this mess and people are saying, I can't unsee this now. Oh, my goodness. And she realizes that the mess in front of her and there's nothing to wipe up the mess with. And so she unties her hair. No lady untied their hair in public. It was an absolute no-no. That was a massive breach of social convention. But she unties her hair because she doesn't care about social convention. She's in the presence of Jesus. She cares about Jesus. And so she sees this mess and she gets her hair and she uses her hair to wipe away the mess to clean the feet. Her tears have been the water that Simon refused to give Jesus. Her hair has become the towel that wasn't provided. And then finally, finally, she gets this alabaster jar. Now, perfume was, it was an expensive commodity. And for a, for a prostitute, one drop of perfume for every client, it kind of added to the, the attraction, maybe a little bit of makeup, I don't know. But certainly, this perfume for a prostitute would have been used a lot. And suddenly she pours not just a drop on the feet of Jesus, but the whole lot. She leaves herself without one of the key things that allured clients to her. She leaves herself empty of that because she has poured out this perfume, one of the most 
expensive and important commodities that she has over the feet of Jesus. And so she's anointed the feet of Jesus. The anointing that was refused him when he entered the building, she does. She pours it out on his feet. You see, in that moment of her brokenness, in that moment when she came into the presence of Jesus, she experienced the grace of Jesus. And her response is, is just, what can I do? I, can, I'm, I have no water, I have my tears. I, he needs his feet washed, it's not been done, it should be done, I'm going to do it. My hair is the only thing I've got to clean it up with. I will use my hair and I don't care that I'm taking on all the, the muck and the filth. This is Jesus. And then, and then what, can I, what can I anoint him with just to show finally my love? I've got my, I've got my perfume. I'm going to pour it out and I'm going to empty it and I'm going to empty every last drop because I'm not going to need that anymore. Now we don't know anything about the past of this lady. We don't know anything about the future of this lady. We don't know how she went on to make a living, but I'm fairly confident that it wouldn't have been working the street corners. As I say, we're not 100% sure that that is what she did. She may, have been, she may have been a thief. She may have been a serial adulterer. We just don't know. But whatever the sin was, others knew and it was something intimate, and it was something that, that she was deeply ashamed of. And it was something that all the eyes around the table were aware of. And the only set of eyes in that place that didn't judge her, that didn't belittle her, that didn't condemn her, that didn't make her feel so horrible that she just wanted to curl up and die, were the eyes of Jesus. really hard to be Jesus to the people that we meet out there. But we must be prepared. We must be prepared because Jesus at no point said to somebody, you're a who, you're a what, you've been where? No, sorry, that's too much. He never did it. Why? Because... That's not Jesus. It's never too much. No matter what we have done, no matter who we are, no matter who we meet out there, all of them, all of us, are welcome into the presence of Jesus. As a church, we are the body of Christ. This is a house of God. We need to make sure that they're not just words that we throw around, familiar phrases that, that make us all churchy. They should be statements of fact. If this is a house of God, then we need to live up to God's standards. We need to treat people in the way that God treats them. If, this is, if we are the body of Christ and Jesus is our head, then he's the one who sets the tone for our actions. That is the example which we follow. I don't know how any of us would react faced with this situation? Would we have said, not now, I'm in a Pharisee's house. Look, look wait, come, come and see me tomorrow. Wait outside. You see, whether we, whether we have a prostitute come in, we must not judge. 
whether we have someone who, who comes in and is incredibly successful and incredibly wealthy and talks about their, their massive house and the Ferrari and the bonus and, and we find it nauseating. So what they want to do is talk about their own, their own pride. We must love them and welcome them. We have someone coming in and all they do is, is, is act with such arrogance that we just think, oh, I don't enjoy your company. We need to be Jesus to them. Whoever walks through those doors and comes to Alpha. In fact, we should pray that these people do. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, I, I, I hope there are people in here who are planning to come to Alpha who think, actually, I could do with a refresher on some of the basics. Or maybe you think, I've only been a Christian for a couple of years and, and I didn't get a chance to do Alpha because it was locked down and everything. And I've got a lot of gaps. I'd like to fill them in. That would be brilliant. Please, please do. Um, please do come along. It might be you've been a Christian for 60 years or more. But please don't ever feel that it's, it's in some way below you to, to come to a refresher course. Every time I do Alpha, I learn something new. It's a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. But having said that, what we don't want is for our Alpha course to be full of Christians. That's not what it's intended for. It's intended to be reaching out. And if we're reaching out, we're not reaching out to a specific group. We're not reaching out to uh, people like us whatever that may mean, we're throwing the gates open. We're throwing open the gates and we're saying, Jesus, send in the lost, those that you, those that you would have found today. There's a, there, there, there's, a, there's a strip joint up the road. I've never been there, I hasten to add, but I've walked past it, just to clarify. But wouldn't it be brilliant if some of the people who work there came to Alpha? Wouldn't that be fantastic? It would, you know. It really would. Wouldn't it be great if, if some, of the, some of the homeless who we, we have come to the night shelter walked in? Wouldn't that be fantastic? There might be a, there might be a stench, there might be filthy, but it doesn't matter. There's a heart there. There's a person there. There's someone to love. There's someone that Jesus, Jesus would, would welcome with open arms. And we can do the same. Wouldn't it be great to have someone come in and say, I've just, I've just come through the 12-step program. I've just, I'm, I'm, I'm winning this battle with my addiction, but it's a battle every single day and temptation is all around me and it is hard, but I'm doing my best. Wouldn't it be great to say, well, look, uh, in your struggle, meet Jesus. Wouldn't that be fantastic? But we've got to be prepared as a church to accept and to welcome and to love the people that Jesus also accepted and welcomed and loved. Everyone needs Jesus. But as we know, not everyone recognizes that need. And when people walk into this church, not just for Alpha, but any day of the week, any, any service that we run, any, any event that we run, the first thing they should make, be made to feel welcome now, I've heard many stories from people who have been here for the first time who said, oh, yeah, the first time I walked in, I just, it, was, it was lovely. People were so welcoming. They were so friendly and warm, and I was just made to feel so at home, and that's brilliant. But let's not, let's not take that for granted because we can get complacent in that, and as soon as the church gets complacent, then suddenly these things get forgotten and get lost. 
And before we know it, we're, we're, we're forming cliques within the church and people can walk in and feel very isolated. So let's make sure that when we see someone new in church, even if it's someone you think, have I seen, I think I might have seen them before, still go up to them and introduce yourself. I've, do you know what, several times recently, I've introduced myself to people and they've said, yeah, Tom, we met, we met about six weeks ago. Do you remember? We spoke about... And I suddenly have that moment of feeling about that big, thinking, oh, no, yeah, I do remember now, I'm so sorry. But I would much rather do that and have that moment of feeling stupid than think, oh, I'm not sure, I'm, just, I'm not going to take the risk. Because if I haven't ever spoken to them before, then suddenly they've come into church and no one's spoken to them. And we must all get over the fact that sometimes we might be made to feel that big because we talk to somebody who we, 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 we introduce ourselves to someone we've already introduced ourselves to. But that's okay. It's okay to feel stupid. Welcome to the club. But what's not okay is for someone to walk into a church and sit isolated on their own and then to walk out again. We need to make people feel welcome. And as part of the welcome as well, we need to show love. We need to make sure that when somebody walks in, they feel loved. That's what Jesus did. Jesus loved all comers. Anyone who came to him in need of, of compassion, he showed compassion to. Anyone who came to him in need of teaching, he taught. He was, he was a great teacher. We need to make sure that anyone who comes into this church receives a welcome, experiences love, and then hopefully learns something about our faith. We're not going to force it down their throats but we're going to just do our best to say, this is why I believe what I believe. This is why I live the life that I live. Why I do what I do. Why I have the, the I follow the, the teaching that I follow. I was reading a book this week by a guy called Kyle Eidelman, who's a, he's a minister in a church in America, and it's called, it's called The End of Me. And it's all about... It's all about when we reach that point of brokenness. Just like this, this prostitute we've read about this morning. When we reach that moment where we, we, are, we are just empty. Where we are, we're, we're to the point where we have nothing that we see good in ourselves and we're pouring ourselves out and we, 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 we fit into that bracket of being poor in spirit. We have nothing in our spirit that is rich. And there's a quote here. It says, the truth is, we are those people. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted child, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair away from being those people. The ones we don't trust, the ones we pity, the ones we don't let our children play with, the ones bad things happen to, the ones we don't want living next door. We are those people. We are the people who ignore the hurts of others as long as someone takes care of us. We are the people who yell at one another in the car on the way to church, then climb out with sunny smiles to demonstrate that it's all good. We are the people who think God is somehow more impressed with us because we make up our own rules and follow them. We are the people who have gone into deep debt to keep up appearances. We are the people who look down on others who are different. We are the people who take the easy way out and log on to the porn site. We are the people who work 50 plus hours a week trying to 
prove our worth. We are the people with holes punched in our walls and doors unhinged from slamming. We are the people who spend hours a day on social media trying to convince people that our lives are better than theirs. All of us have hearts that need mending. All of us need Jesus in our lives. We all need to feel welcome in the presence of Jesus. We all need to know that we are loved. And we all need to humble ourselves. And when we're in the presence of Jesus, to be willing to learn something new about ourselves and to be reminded that whether we are proud of ourselves or not, whether we love ourselves or not, we have a heavenly Father who loves us and whose love never ends. You see, what I was going to do today was um, I was going to make some jelly. This was, you know, at the start of the service, I said about how you wake up and you suddenly think of all the things you should have done to get ahead of the game. I was going to make some jelly. Um, or maybe I was going to ask Joe to make some jelly. I'm not very good at cooking and stuff. <clears throat> um, and the reason I was going to do that is just to remind us that there is no one mould into which we all fit. There is no right mould. And when we come across people who are different to us, we can't try and mould them into something that we think fits the, the picture of what a Christian is. There are so many people in the world who say, yeah, I sort, of, I sort of believe in God, I sort of believe in something, but not church, church isn't for me. And when you dig down into their story, you come to realise that it's because they've, they've tried church and they found they don't fit in to church. And let us be frank, there is nobody in the world who, when they try God and try church, who Jesus would say, you don't fit into church. Jesus would never make somebody feel that they don't fit in, but, but the church corporately across the world over generations has isolated and abandoned so many people because they didn't quite fit into the mold. There is no mold. We are all different. Some of us are very obviously different in the way that we appear. Some of us are very different on the inside. But you know what? Jesus knows our outward appearance. He knows our inner appearance. And he loves us. And he wants us to be part of his body, the body of Christ that is the church. In Jeremiah 18... We read these words. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. Go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, 
O house of Israel, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I, will not, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I'd planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. See, there is no jelly mold but there is a creator, there is a God, and if we, if, we have the, if we can welcome people in who are prepared to do what this lady does, what we've read about this morning, to, to kneel down in the presence of Jesus and to be, to be shaped, to say, hey, the pot you made me to be, it's got imperfections, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking up here, then God can take us and he can make us into something new and beautiful and wonderful and amazing. It's like that Japanese pottery, which is, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. I wish I could. But I take broken bits of pottery and stick them back together. And rather than trying to cover up and reglaze over the cracks and make it look new and fresh, instead they get um, gilt paint and this gold, the golden edges, they paint around the cracks so that the cracks are the most obvious part of the vessel. It looks amazing. But God does the same with us our cracks, our brokenness, our fault lines. He doesn't try and well, cover, cover up, cover up. He says, I love you for what you are. That's why I sent my son into the world to die on that cross. I love you for what you are. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Please take an invitation to Alpha. Please pray over that invitation. Please pray that God will make clear to you who it's meant for. Please pass it on to that person and encourage them to come along. Please share with them. Don't be ashamed of the Christian faith. Celebrate it. Because if they come along and if they meet with Jesus, in that moment, they give themselves into God's hands. And we've done our bit at that point. The rest is between them and God. But if we don't do our bit, then that opportunity never arises. Let's pray, and then I'm going to ask the band to come up um, as we prepare to share communion together. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that as we've read that story this morning, we've been reminded of the unlimited, unbridled love that Jesus demonstrated for the poor in spirit. And Father, we pray that you will use us as a church, that as we, as we begin this, this Alpha course, Father, we pray that the people who come into this church to, to hear about you will, will be will be challenged because they'll walk in and find a group of people who they didn't expect to find. A group of people who welcome them with smiles and open arms. A group of people who, who demonstrate a love that they've not expected and not experienced before. And that they experience a presence from which they learn. Which they can ask questions and hopefully receive answers that reveal to them 
the love of God. So Father, we pray for your blessing on this church. We pray for your blessing on this Alpha course. And we pray, Lord, that you will equip us and build us up and strengthen us to have the confidence, have the depth of faith required to go out into the world and to share our faith and to demonstrate our faith, to be Jesus to those that we meet. Father, we pray that you will help us as we go about your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going we're to sing together and then we're going to share communion.